This is KMUW Wichita Public Radio. Engage ICT is a community engagement event of KMUW Wichita. The following event took place on January 30th at Roxy's downtown. Okay, everyone, good evening. Welcome to Engage ICT, Democracy on Tap. Very excited to see uh, so many people in the audience this evening. We're going to have an excellent discussion. We have wonderful panelists for you tonight. Uh, I'm Sarah Jane Crespo, and I'm, I'm uh, excited to see everybody here. Um, we would like to, before we get started, thank uh, a couple of very important uh, partners for Engage ICT. Uh, firstly is Roxy's Downtown for providing the excellent space and the wonderful appetizer buffet in the back. Let's have a round of applause. And also uh, a long-term partner for Engage ICT Democracy Tap, the Wichita Public Library, which every month uh, the library provides further reading uh, and resources for you to learn about the different subjects that we cover through Engage ICT. So um, you can find a sheet about uh, tonight's topic as well as information on all of the uh, topics that we've covered in the past at Engage ICT. And those are over at our info table. You can also get some goodies and different things things there, so check that out, and let's have a round of applause for the library. So to start now, I will uh, introduce our different panelists and let them talk uh, a little bit about themselves. Um, we'll just kind of go down the row here. Um, we have Dr. Andy Bannister, Interim Director of the WSU School of Criminal Justice. Um, we have uh, Wichita Police Lieutenant Wendell Nicholson, who spent about 24 years on the Wichita Police Department in many different roles and now focuses on community policing. Uh, Daryl Carrington, community liaison at Wichita State University, specifically Fairmount Neighborhood. And then at the end there we have Matt Johnson, who is co-founder with Adam Barlow-Thompson, who we had planned on tonight, but who has the flu. Uh, but Matt also co-founded SociLife um, and identifies himself as a neighborhood animator uh, with the neighboring movement by SociLife. Um, and also a, a freelance spiritual director. So um, that is our panel tonight. Let's start out and have just uh, introductions from each of you. Tell us a little bit about yourself um, and your path and what brought you here. Why don't we start with you, Andy? Is this <laughs> Once you start talking, it will. All right, here we go. Can you guys hear me? Sort of? Okay. Um, I'm a Chicagoan, so I kind of speak loudly to begin with, so I'll kind of be careful with that. Um, I just want to say, um, as she stated, uh, my name is Andy Bannister. I'm the interim director of the School of Criminal Justice at Wichita State University. And I have been here for starting my 23rd year at Wichita State, so I've been here quite a while. Um, I have worked in a variety of capacities. I have actually, beginning in 1997, I received federal grants from Department of Justice COPS Office to do training and technical assistance for law enforcement around the state of Kansas and Nebraska. So I have a very long-standing relationship with law enforcement, um, and we're gonna continue on with that. I just wanna also say I did, um, I was a reserve officer with the Wichita Police Department. So I was on the street as a fully commissioned officer while I was working during the day as a professor, and of course at night as a, as a police officer. Uh, my husband is a retired captain from Wichita Police Department. My brother's Chicago homicide detective still. And my brother-in-law is a retired um, Salt Lake City police detective. So I have quite a history of law enforcement in my family. I've also had many opportunities to do training around the country for law enforcement as well as, well as around the world. 
uh, the opportunity to do some training, um, to actually study terrorism and extremism in Israel, which is fascinating, a better place to do it, and did some training for the Thai police in Bangkok, Thailand, and Pattaya, and um, computer crime, which is what my dissertation was on. So like I said, I've been kind of all over the place, and I thank you for coming today. I'm very excited about this opportunity, so thank you. Well, good evening. Uh, my name is uh, Lieutenant Wendell Nicholson. I've been with the uh, Wichita Police Department now for 24 years. I uh, started when I was 21, right out of college. Uh, born and raised here in Wichita, uh, so I'm a Wichita. Uh, I got my bachelor's and my master's degree from Wichita State. Uh, I've worked in a variety of roles at the police department. Uh, started out in patrol, uh, patrol north, which is right over there off of 21st and Hillside. Uh, Worked uh, several different assignments in patrol. Uh, worked, uh, I spent about 15 years in investigations. I worked uh, uh, gang felony assault. I worked uh, robbery. I worked uh, in auto theft, internal affairs. I was in uh, the uh, department's uh, polygraph examiner. Uh, did another stint in uh, internal affairs. And then uh, got promoted uh, to sergeant. Then I got promoted to lieutenant. Uh, I'm currently the uh, patrol South, <coughs> excuse me, I'm getting over a cold. Uh, I'm the patrol, working patrol South. I'm the second watch, uh, watch commander. Uh, I'm, I have, uh, I'm over uh, patrol South community policing. Uh, I'm also over the homeless outreach team. And I'm also, uh, we have a Broadway corridor unit. And then I have uh, uh, the officers that just uh, are responsible for a second watch. So I stay pretty busy. I have, uh, probably about 30 officers and four, four sergeants that I supervise. So I stay really, stay really busy, but I uh, really, uh, uh, at seeing how Wichita has evolved as far as the relationship with uh, uh, the community and the police, I really do enjoy uh, the relationship building aspect of my job that I have right now. This has probably been one of my most favorite uh, positions, just getting it to uh, talk to citizens. Uh, I always tell people when I talk to community groups that, uh, the relationship uh, between uh, uh, the community and the police department has really changed. When I started in 1993, uh, I remember driving through neighborhoods and uh, I would wave at people and they would give me the finger. Uh, uh, I still don't get that as much as I used to, but uh, <laughs> still people, some people still don't, uh, we still have some work to do in a lot of areas, but uh, for, the, for the most part, uh, been uh, very, uh, community policing has really evolved and changed uh, Wichita and uh, our relationship. Yeah, that really does deserve applause. Both of you need to be uh, applauded for your efforts uh, in the city of Wichita. My name is Daryl Carrington, and I don't have the history uh, that my other panelists do. I've been in the city of Wichita for about a decade. Um, I have, um, I live uh, just south of uh, Wichita State University, and so I think one of the reasons why I was invited here to speak with you today is because of a, um, uh, of the effort, uh, the recent effort uh, to um, address uh, some of the, um, well, actually, particularly a, a quite high profile crime that occurred in the community several years ago, uh, Miss Letitia Davis uh, was a, uh, uh, died as a, as a result of an assault uh, in the Fairmount Park. And uh, as a result of that, 
there has been some uh, real uh, intention to um, address uh, some of the concerns of the community. So I currently serve as a community liaison between the university and the world that surrounds it, but more specifically, uh, the, Fairmount, the Fairmount neighborhood. Uh, I would just say before I pass on uh, that um, I am the beneficiary of some real well-intentioned people in the city of Wichita. Uh, and uh, what I am going to share with you tonight is some of the results of that good intention and, um, and I look forward to questions afterwards. Thanks. My name is Matt Johnson, and uh, I am here with the organization Soci Life, and we have launched what we call the Neighboring Movement. Um, our uh, name, Soci Life, comes from the neighborhood where we started. Uh, we, uh, my wife Catherine and I, have lived in the South Central neighborhood of Wichita um, for nine years now, and uh, the center of our neighborhood is Broadway, and. Uh, uh, Whenever you say Broadway, um, uh, oftentimes people have assumptions about my neighborhood. And uh, as we've lived there over these years, um, we wanted to find ways to help our neighborhood become stronger. But what surprised us was that the most powerful way to help our neighborhood become stronger was not by fixing what was broken, but by focusing on what was strong, by discovering the gifts that were in our neighborhood in particular, the gifts and the talents of our neighbors, and then working with our neighbors to bring those gifts out and to build on those to address the issues that do exist in our neighborhood. So we began uh, interviewing our neighbors door to door and asking, what are you good at? What do you love to do? And what would you like to do with other neighbors? And I have to tell you that in a neighborhood that is known for its issues, we were overwhelmed by the giftedness. It was so inspiring. And, uh, and so for the last uh, three years, we've been working with this model of focusing on the giftedness, focusing on the assets. And after a while, we started to ask ourselves, what is it we're doing exactly? You know, how, what is this? And we realized it's good neighboring, that this is really about how do we, how do we foster good neighbor relationships? And we're also amazed, uh, as we've been on this journey for the last couple of years, of the impact that the simple act of being a good neighbor can have on our communities, uh, whether it's our physical health and our civic health, as well as crime and safety. And so, uh, so that's what brings me to this table. And uh, I'm really honored to be here um, with these folks. Um, I'm very impressed. So thank you. So I'd like to start out tonight with a little bit of background, a little history. And so, uh, Wendell, I'd like to start with you, if you could kind of tell us a little bit of how, how the community looked um, 24 years ago when you started and sort of the evolution that brought us to where we are today, if you want to kind of kick us off that way. I was just uh, talking about that with uh, Daryl before you got started. Uh, like I said, uh, I started in 1993 in uh, Wichita. Uh, I just got out of college, and uh, I, kind of a little side story, I didn't always want to be a police officer, and uh, my parents were pretty upset that uh, I became a police officer. It, uh, my grandma didn't, uh, she didn't want to talk to me for about two years, so 
she was uh, she was pretty upset, uh, and the reason for that wasn't so much that uh, she didn't uh, she disliked the police department. Uh, when I graduated from Wichita State, I got accepted to law school at uh, Howard University, and so uh, that was I was planning on starting law school in August of '93, and then a good friend of mine who was uh, just retired this year from the sheriff's department, uh, Captain Jay McLaurin, uh he was a sheriff's deputy at the time, and. Uh, I'd always heard about police officers, and I'd, uh, I'd, I think Cop Show had just started, and I said, well, you know, I thought it'd be pretty cool to go on a ride-along with him, and so I ended up uh, going on a ride-along with him, and uh, the night that I rode with him, he used to ride down in Oakline. Uh, he got in, like, four car chases. Uh, one of the car chases, a guy, guy actually drove through a house, and we followed him. Uh, we didn't go through the house, but we went on the side through the house, and, and uh, I was like, is it like this every night? And he's like, no, you're just bad luck. And, uh, <laughs> and so I ended up, uh, I ended up applying. I didn't think that uh, they would hire me, uh, just because uh, I was supposed to leave in a few months to, to D.C. for law school. Uh, but I ended up applying, and uh, they hired me in like about uh, four weeks. And so I've been here 24 years. But uh, and so my mom and my grandmother was pretty upset uh, about that. Uh, uh, but going back to in 1993. Uh, Crack cocaine had just kind of made its way into Wichita. And so uh, the Northeast area, like I was just talking to him, uh, was uh, was an area that I grew up in. I grew up in 19th and Grove. And so uh, it wasn't uh, my entertainment on the evenings was usually sitting and watching the police raid uh, someone's house. Uh, I had I grew up next to crack houses and uh, on both sides of my street. Uh, it wasn't unusual for drive-by shootings to happen. That was just my neighborhood. Or, Having to, having to lay it down in my tub when people started shooting, uh, that was kind of the norm for Wichita. As I was kind of explaining to him, uh, back in the 90s uh, when I started, uh, Wichita used to average probably about uh, 150 to 200 drive-by shootings a month. Uh, and so we had, a, obviously we had a problem. Most of the drive-bys were concentrated in the Northeast area uh, where my family lived uh, and where community policing started. We didn't have a very good relationship with uh, the community. Uh, what I always tell people is that community policing is a philosophy. It's about uh, non-traditional policing, getting out of your police car, building relationships. Uh, when I started, uh, we didn't have a lot of manpower. I think we had maybe 250 officers at the time. Now we're up to probably about 700. Uh, still not where we need to be, but a lot better than, we, uh, than it was. Uh, we would have, uh, when I, you would come on, you may have 200 calls holding. Uh, some of the calls might have been holding for uh, two or three weeks. And so just imagine if you called in a burglary today and uh, we weren't able to get to you until Sunday. Uh, that's, uh, that was kind of the thing that we were dealing with. So we got our manpower up. Uh, we knew we needed to do something as far as uh, combating the, uh, the gang warfare, the drug problem that we had in Wichita. So, uh, it wasn't so much the enforcement issues that uh, kind of turned things around as community policing. You know, it was building those relationships with the neighbors uh, because, uh, like I said, I grew up in Northeast Wichita. Uh, just because you live in an area that uh, may historically be crime-ridden, that doesn't mean everybody that lives there is like that. When we started building those relationships and they started telling us, well, you know, these are, these are who the uh, drug dealers were or these were the bad people, uh, you know, or just addressing just neighborhood complaints, you know, things like uh, maybe you had a neighbor who uh, maybe some selling some uh, neighborhood disputes, sell, uh, you know, dealing problem-oriented policing. 
uh, you know, not just looking to arrest people, but trying to solve people's problems, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, traffic, uh, you know, somebody's running a stop sign, you know, but just building those relationships is really important. And so when we went away from uh, just going from responding from call to call and that old fashioned, uh, you know, I'm going to take you to jail type of thing and, you know, looking for alternative ways to uh, resolve problems. Not like I was talking to Daryl before, you know, we can't arrest our way out of problems. And so when we started uh, looking at that mindset, uh, you know, improving housing, uh, getting the, uh, the legislators and lawmakers on our side as far as helping and improving, getting jobs in areas, opening up rec centers and stuff, uh, mentor mentoring uh, at the schools, all those types of things really did help uh, kind of turn the tide as far as against uh, uh, a lot of the drug problems and a lot of the, the gang violence that we had back in the 90s. Now, I, I want to remind all of you, especially if you haven't been to Engage ICT before, that we have question slips on the tables. Um, feel free, as the discussion is going, to fill out uh, a slip and bring it to Zach. Zach, raise your arm. Uh, bring, oh, or to Alexis. Okay, you have options. Um, and, uh, and we will uh, address your questions as well. Um, you can also use Twitter to ask a question or Facebook Live. We are Facebook Living the event tonight. So um, come up with questions for the panel and, uh, and start sending them in and we will we'll get those addressed as well. So when did this shift occur? And I don't know, maybe Andy, if you can address this as well, but the community policing, when did that sort of start to become uh, common? I, if, and I'll, all of you can address any of these questions, but uh, yeah, I was, I was wondering, uh, Wendell, well, if you Well, for us, uh, we started a, the very first community policing unit was, uh, uh, was based in Northeast Wichita. We also had one that was in South Wichita in the Broadway area. So we had two community policing teams. And those were, at the time, they were kind of, the, kind of some of the, the worst neighborhoods that we had at the time. So we really wanted to try and to build those relationships. Uh, so. I would think that uh, community policing probably started in earnest uh, probably right around uh, 1995, 1996 here in Wichita. Uh, it's not, it wasn't the model that we have now. Now we have 39 beat coordinators. So each beat in the city has uh, a community policing officer specifically assigned to it. But back then, uh, it was just kind of area specific because uh, those were the areas that had the most problems. So we. It was kind of a, an experimental program. We, uh, we kind of uh, borrowed from uh, other departments as far as what uh, their successes, and we tried to copy that. Some of the things that other departments did didn't work for us, uh, and so we kind of tailored that. Uh, when we had the success down on South Broadway and in Northeast Wichita, then we moved it to uh, throughout the city. Andy, when did this become a part of training for police? Okay, well, I can talk about when we received during our training grants in 1997, um, the COPS offices, Community Orienting Policing Services, so everything that we did, everything that we developed, everything that we trained on, to, did technical assistance on, was based solely in community policing. But the, it wasn't based on standalone programs. So we would start off with basic community policing training for law enforcement, and then we moved into the idea that it needed to be weaved through topics, no matter what the topic, no matter what the training was, 
It wasn't just, we do community policing here, we do domestic violence here, we do you know, terrorism training here, we do use of force here. It became weaved in through all everything that we, that we did from that point forward, and I, we trained so many officers, like I said, around the two states, and actually around the country, that it became kind of you know, part, part of training. So that's kind of our, our history, and it had gone on for, we, we had training grants for, I'm going to say about 18 years of this training, and we still, we still do training. Daryl, did you want to add something about community policing and, and uh, what you see from your uh, neighborhood there? Yes, thank you. I, I think it's interesting that uh, the acronym COPS, Community-Oriented Policing Services, uh, is, is pretty awesome. I mean, we refer to our lo local law enforcement as COPS, and they're not all necessarily community-oriented police, but it's a nice uh, reflection. Uh, again, I applaud all the work uh, that had been done previous to my arrival uh, here in Wichita, but I would like to talk about when I did arrive. Um, I arrived uh, in around 2005-06, and at the time uh, in Northeast Wichita, there was a program called Weed and Seed, uh, which was, you know, you weed out the bad and you seed the good. Uh, and uh, so I was experiencing that through the lens of AmeriCorps. I was an AmeriCorps member, and which is a very idealistic uh, uh, framework. Uh, you know, AmeriCorps meaning, you know, w w you know, one person can change the world. And so... As an AmeriCorps member, I was introduced to Weed and Seed, and it was amazing uh, on, a, on a weekly basis what was happening in Northeast Wichita. Uh, like uh, Lieutenant Nicholson was saying, there were law enforcement officers, there were sheriffs, uh, there were uh, lawmakers, there were uh, community uh, leaders all coming together to have discussions. And, and, I, and obviously it made, it made a huge difference. Um, I, you know, in, in, in terms of Fairmount, uh, I, Obviously, uh, I thought that we had, um, we were being spoiled in Fairmount, and the community policing unit in Fairmount was different, uh, but it sounds like all of Wichita is experiencing these awesome uh, community police officers. Uh, I actually respond to um, Lieutenant Nicholson's uh, colleague, uh, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Sarah Aldridge, who leads the community-oriented policing in Northeast Wichita. And uh, we have uh, introduced just some, some marvelous ways to uh, allow uh, regular citizens like myself and my family to participate in uh, community policing. Um, I can tell you, and many of you probably already have this also, uh, e each week we get a, uh, a safety report in our, in our local uh, neighborhood association meetings. Um, we are encouraged to... Uh, to uh, 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 reduce uh, uh, environmental hazards in our community. Uh, we're encouraged to increase uh, public safety. We're encouraged to increase um, personal safety. And I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, our, our local uh, community-oriented police has insisted that, uh, that we communicate with one another. And many of you already probably familiar with these next door apps. Many communities have these next door apps and it allows us to communicate uh, electronically or wirelessly uh, to one another. So if we wanted to plan a party, let's just say, for Lieutenant Nicholson, we can do that without him knowing anything about it. 
you know, or the opposite might be true. You know, if we wanted to uh, complain about Lieutenant Nicholson for whatever reason, we could do that without him knowing. Um, also, uh, you know, so so those are the kind of um, unique uh, responses, uh, unique ways uh, that we can partner uh, with our. Uh, community-oriented police. And uh, I'll you're just talking about connection, getting people to kind of connect within neighborhoods. Yes. And that's something that I definitely think we should uh, talk more about. And I, I'm wondering, uh, you know, you're talking about the the next door, and there's another app that you had mentioned to me um, that would be uh, excellent to talk about. And uh, Matt, I'm wondering if on the on the topic of connection, um, how is it that that uh, people have kind of fallen out of that? Do you think from mm -hmm. from your neighborhood, your perspective there? Mm -hmm. I think there's there are several factors that I think can erode those connections. Um, certainly, we live uh, in a day and age where uh, we have we can control our indoor environment more. I think about the home that I own, which was not built with air conditioning. And the way that neighbors used to connect was being outside, staying cool, and um, because it was too hot inside the house. Nowadays, it's just really nice to be inside with the air conditioning, you know, in the summer. Um, likewise, entertainment opportunities, right, are so much. So we could just be inside consuming uh, entertainment and um, those types of things. The other uh, transition that, that historically has happened in a neighborhood like mine, most of the homes were built um, around 1910 to 1939 or 1940. And what we have found is a lot of the folks that live in our neighborhood, um, there's, there are folks who have lived there for you know, 30, 40, 50 years, uh, and then as they pass away, their homes become rentals. And so you have you know, one home that has a long-term resident who's been there a long time, right next to a rental where there's quick turnover and, you know, potentially people coming and going. One of the challenges then is for folks who have been there a long time to reach out. I mean, that's a skill that, that um, they maybe have not had to use in a while because they suddenly have new neighbors. Uh, and not only new neighbors, but folks moving in and out more rapidly. How do you encourage people to do that? You know, we encourage people to do it really simply. Uh, simple things like front yard gardening uh, is a great way. Things that allow us to simply be present to our neighborhood and our neighbors can have a really surprisingly strong impact. So we launched an initiative a couple years ago. Uh, we started building front yard garden boxes uh, out of old privacy fences, which I really... I just want to savor the irony of that for a moment, right? That I'm taking wood that used to separate neighbors, and I'm rebuilding it into boxes that brings neighbors together. Anyway, uh, they're simple. They're you know three foot by three foot and two feet tall, um, and they're just out there. It's it's something you know to be outside working on in your front yard. But when you're out there, it gives your neighbor a reason to stop and chat. You know what are you growing? Uh, you know what what do you have happening here? Um, and, uh, and then that leads to other conversations. So you start to learn each other's stories and build those connections. Um, beyond that, other experiences that we've had include block parties. Um, I'm always encouraged by the number of neighbors who are willing to get together for a barbecue. Mm -hmm. you know? And when you're eating together, uh, 
it just it fosters a chance to build relationship and not deep relationships but just enough to to know what's happening on my block and to know who my neighbors are and to feel more connected so there's a couple of examples Daryl can you tell us a little bit about back to the park as a as another method here to kind of bring people together in a neighborhood yeah sure thank you so uh, one of the uh, attributes to the Fairmount community is it has a park in the center of it um, I think it's, it's maybe about 23 acres and it is a, a beautiful uh, well it's, it's the nucleus of our community and so um, what we had been doing uh, prior to uh, Letitia Davis uh, incident as on an annual basis after we had a neighborhood cleanup uh, we'd all come back to the park to enjoy ourselves and enjoy music uh, uh, and one another. Um, also, uh, before my time, I understand that Fairmount Park was a vital part of this community. I mean, I, people tell me about this swimming pool that used to be in the park, and the way they describe it, 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 must, be, it must have been an Olympic-sized pool. <laughs> because they spent all day there, and, you know, they, you know so uh, there was a time when people would congregate in that Fairmount Park. I was told about shuffleboard, and Shakespeare in the park and all that kind of thing. So one of our jobs was not to reinvent the wheel, but get people to come back to the park and enjoy one another. And we all know that an, an active park uh, reduces crime. Uh, it brings uh, families together. Um, you know, uh, it reduces body mass index even. I mean, it's just all kinds of wonderful things that happens. It reduces the prevalence of disease like diabetes and things like that. And so the whole idea of coming back to the park uh, almost like, you know, enjoying your front porch again, uh, coming back to where the community would rally around each other and, and support one another. Thank you. And how has the image of Fairmount Park changed? Um, is it more or less used now than it was in the past? Well, thank you. That's a wonderful question. It is, um, you know, again, the well-intentioned uh, members of this uh, Wichita community is is magnanimous. We have a um, director of Wichita Park and Rex, uh, who uh, is very responsive, uh, and obviously we have a, uh, a city councilman now, uh, uh, Brandon Johnson. Uh, before him, we had Levanta Williams, who lives in that community, who's very responsive, and then of course, uh, the president of the university, Dr. Bardot, and then before him, Dr. Beggs was quite responsive, and so uh, the park is is pretty awesome today. Um, I can report to you that, um, well, you all probably could tell me, but years ago, uh, that park was really um, on the weekend, on Saturday or and or Sunday. Uh, people would come from all over the city to that park, and it became uh, uh, distasteful. And so uh, there were uh, there was a campaign to dissuade people from coming to the park. To go where instead? Well, I think they went to, this is before my time, but if I understand, re remember my history, I think they went to um, uh, Riverside. Oh. However, um, uh, you know, there was a point where people would congregate in the park, and I think there was some cruising that went around, and so uh, there were some efforts to dissuade people from cruising, so literally people, uh, the I don't know who did it exactly, but uh, it was um, traffic diverters put in the park to to stop the uh, 
the cruising around the park. Um, I'm told that barbecue pits were taken out of the park to dissuade people from coming in. And even the basketball court, uh, one side was 10 feet. I think the other side was 8 feet. And children didn't mind, but adults uh, would, would stop playing at the park. And so it worked. Uh, it worked too well. It became a, a, a vacuum. Uh, and so, um, and, and what, what filled that vacuum was the, the less uh, civic-minded citizen. Have the barbecue pits returned? The barbecue pits haven't returned yet. However, uh, uh, there is an effort, you can see, to encourage people to come back to the park. For example, our tennis courts uh, are now lit at night, free lighting, so you can play tennis up to 11 o'clock at night uh, there before the timer goes off. There are bleachers now installed in the parks to, to, to uh, invite people to congregate and, and participate. Uh, there's a new basketball court with both sides are 10 feet. It's just gorgeous. Um, and, um, and, and to be honest with you, the problem that we have at the park now, what we need to do, and I, I, I apologize if, if Troy is listening because I have nothing but good news to report about Wichita Park and Rex, but we need now, because people are coming to the park and walking their dogs, we need now to get um, doggy do bags. But that's the problem you want to have in a park that had been inactive for so long, and now it's being activated, and it's, it's really great. Uh, I will say also that um, uh, we meet on a monthly basis. Most uh, We call it a Fairmount Stakeholders Meeting, and we meet in the park monthly, uh, and, uh, and we, we can pat ourselves on the back because um, it has is, it is, um, transformed itself uh, but again, that's with the help of some uh, wonderful people here in the city of Wichita. Wendell, is community policing a position that, that someone holds, or is this sort of a broad philosophy in a department? Uh, well, in our department, uh, everybody is a community policing officer, but uh, we have uh, four separate community policing teams. Uh, I lead the South community policing team. Uh, we have uh, each beat, like I said, there's 39 beats in the city, and there's a beat coordinator that's assigned uh, for each particular beat. So if like you have a neighborhood concern, each, each beat in the city has its own individual uh, problems and concerns. And so uh, something that's going on at uh, 47th and Broadway is going to be a different concern that's happening at 19th and Grove. But uh, that community policing officer that we have throughout the city, that's kind of like uh, your point of contact uh, for if you, if you have uh, any issue. Where do you live at, sir? Okay, so that uh, CP officer is uh, Robin Dowdy uh, for your area. And so uh, I don't know if you knew that or not, but uh, and, uh, Lieutenant Bruno is the uh, community policing lieutenant out there. Uh, but each, uh, each area, well, like I said, the philosophy for community policing is uh, it's really relationship building. Uh, we're we're problem-oriented. Uh, we're not always looking to, well, actually, uh, we open up pop projects. A pop project is something like, let's say like if you were to call today and say that, <coughs> excuse me, uh, that you have maybe like kids that are driving at high speeds through your house, we would get that information to the beat officers and also that uh, beat coordinator and they would open up a pop project and uh, we would put that on a hub uh, that we have like in our computer system and everybody would be able to see that 
uh, Officer Dowdy opened up a pop project for that particular problem. And, and then they would come up with uh, uh, strategies to kind of combat that, you know, uh, maybe ha increase patrols. Uh, if it's just some kids that, you know, getting out of a uh, high school basketball game and they're just driving fast through the neighborhood or some cases we have guys that uh, like to drive through people's yards. Well, if that's your yard. You get pretty upset about somebody driving through uh, your nice, nicely manicured yard. Uh, but kind of going back to uh, what uh, you were talking about uh, uh, with Fairmount Park, uh, one of the things that we saw back in the 90s is that, uh, and when I was a kid, uh, those rec centers were open. I was one of those kids that used to go. I couldn't swim, still can't swim, but I used to go hang out at Fairmount Park. And so when the 90s, uh, uh, kind of when I was in college and then when I got on the police department, uh, those uh, uh, rec centers and those uh, swimming pools, they got closed because that uh, Fairmount Park uh, back in the 90s, uh, that was actually uh, home for one of uh, a gang that we had in Wichita. And so they, there started being a lot of uh, drive-by shootings. There were uh, people that would get shot in the park and stuff over there. So as that type of, as, that, as crime went up around the city, a lot of things shut down. So one of the things that we try to do in uh, community policing is kind of increase that, uh, that neighborhood efficacy. Uh, what I mean by that is like, uh, going back to the 90s again, uh, we had all those drive-by shootings. Uh, we, would, uh, we would have murders. And so I know when I worked in gang felony assault and I would, uh, we work uh, homicides, there might be somebody who was laying uh, shot in the street and we would get there and it might be 40 or 50 people there and nobody had saw anything. And so uh, the problem that we had was that uh, it was a neighbor, it was a, uh, the community didn't trust us, so they didn't want to talk to us because we, didn't, we hadn't built those relationships with them. And so uh, one of the things that we had to really work on was trying to increase that, uh, that sense of neighborhood like uh, my grandmother had uh, back in the, uh, the 70s when she was uh, living in Northeast Wichita, you know, where everybody kind of took care of each other. You saw something strange and you called, uh, you know, you, you took care of your neighbors. Some, somewhere along the way, uh, we lost that temporarily. We're, it's coming back now. Uh, another point that I'll, I'll make is that uh, we, uh, in community policing, like when something terrible happens or if you see like a bunch of police cars in a neighborhood, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, if there's like a bunch of burglaries that happened in the area or maybe it was a drive-by shooting, uh, fortunately we don't have many of those. I'll knock on wood, uh, but we have what's called impact meetings, and uh, all four community policing teams uh, uh, do those impact meetings. Impact stands for uh, informational meeting, informational meeting providing answers for uh, citizens today. And so, basically, what we'll have is so, uh, let's say if we had a uh, maybe a, a shooting in South Wichita uh, in a neighborhood in a neighbor residential area, what my CP officers will do is they'll go around. And I'll put flyers on everybody's door and we'll say like on in two days we're, we're going to have an impact meeting. And so we have like the detectives come out, uh, all the, my CP team will come out and we'll kind of explain what happened. And because uh, a lot of times they have questions and a lot of times that's a good opportunity for us to maybe there's a witness that uh, saw something that happened that'll tell us uh, what happened during this uh, event. And a lot of times that's the first time that these neighbors may have actually uh, all stood together and talked to one another. And so uh, it's not unusual for us to have an uh, impact meeting and then somebody uh, gets the idea, well, you know, we need to have a, a neighborhood watch and then uh, start that uh, uh, they want to get involved in the National Night Out program and stuff like that. 
that's that's how it starts. Uh, just kind of bringing bringing citizens together and start talking to one another. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the neighborhood, the National Night Out, and ours isn't on that date necessarily in Wichita? Uh, yeah, we have a National Night Out. It's usually, I think it's August 2nd, uh, but because Kansas is uh, so hot in Kansas uh, on August, uh, we moved ours back to September. Uh, it, uh, it's, it really is kind of uh, miserable to have a barbecue at 4 in the afternoon in, uh, in Kansas in August, uh, so we moved it back to September a few years ago. Uh, but basically what that is is kind of uh, you have all these uh, neighborhood watch groups, all these uh, uh, citizens that have kind of increased the efficacy, you know, taking care of one another, you know, reporting they see something strange, kind of taking care of each other. What uh, the National Night Out, I'm not sure where it started at, but uh, it's kind of a night for all of uh, these citizen, uh, these neighborhood groups to all come together. Uh, they have barbecues, uh, kind of talk to one another. All the, generally, uh, as call load permits, uh, we try to go to as many uh, night out uh, parties that we can throughout the night. The fire department goes, the police department goes, and that uh, kind of goes back to what I said, community policing being a philosophy, uh, just building relationships. Uh, you know, a lot of times with call loads, we don't get to go to uh, barbecues and maybe get to talk to people, but you know, it's, it's really important that, uh, uh, that people get to know who's policing them. Uh, when I go and talk to kids at schools or when I talk to neighborhood groups, I'm not going to say that to you guys, but I always offer, I, t I tell the kids, I said, if you can tell me the, the captain of the patrol bureau that uh, the area that you live in, I'll give you $20. And, I, and uh, right now I'm 15 for 15. Nobody's actually answered that question. But I've, but I've always had kids email me the next day and say, well, this is who it is. I say, well, it's too late now. See. Uh, my wife's already spent the money, so. Andy, um, how do you see community partnerships affecting policing and community safety as a whole? If you want to talk about the WCU partnership and different things that you see. Sure. I mean, I think it's kind of a two-way partnership, and I think that's something to we really need to understand. Oftentimes I hear people talk about, you know, the police should do this, the police should do that. In reality, it has to be both. So there has to be a relationship. You know, the community has to reach out to police. The police have to work with communities. So it has to be really you know, balance and everybody kind of participating in, in the whole process. The other thing I do want to say is that, uh, as we know, there's always going to be reactive policing, and we get that. There's always going to be 911 calls, there's always going to be having to respond to situations. But I really applaud the local law enforcement agencies for being proactive. And they also, one of the things that, that they also do is they do crime analysis, they do um, ILP, which is intelligence-led policing, and that actually works hand-in-hand -hand with community policing. Um, community policing is as proactive as you know, certainly possible, but these also help um, reduce crime. And one of the things I tell my students also that I just, maybe I'm digressing, but yeah, I'm a teacher, what the heck. Um, <laughs> we do that sometimes. Um, I also tell my students to be very um, vigilant and to be well-educated when it comes to statistics. When you look at the newspaper, when you listen to the nightly news, and they say, oh, there's an uptick in crime, there's an uptick in this. The reality is, you know, maybe there is an actual uptick in crime in certain situations, but better reporting by virtue of good community policing relationships with law enforcement would also increase, you know, the fact that people will, will trust the police, they will report, they will be responsive. And so I think just looking at raw statistics is not the way to go. So really kind of digging down into the weeds a little bit more. So hopefully. Is 
crime uh, underreported in the media or are certain types of crimes not reported on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's definitely underreporting of crime. I talk to my students, once again, it's like a classroom in here, but um, I talk about that we have the tip of the iceberg, which is kind of above the surface. These are known and discovered crimes and reported crime. And there's also what's called the dark figure of crime, which is below the surface. I always kind of liken it to, it, they usually liken it to like an iceberg. Everybody's been, you know, in Alaska and some of those northern, you know, um, states. And you look down and you see this little, you know, piece of ice floating in the water. And then, but underneath you really look down and you can see this, you know, pretty much massive, massive group. So yeah, absolutely. We have underreporting. Certain types of crimes are going to be more underreported than others. Of course, you know, rape, sexual assault, um, those sorts of crimes definitely are going to be, you know, you know, vehicle theft. People like to report when their car's been stolen. <laughs> That's a big one. People will report. But it really varies on the, on the type of crime. So yes, I, I'm really... I really impart and I really make sure that my students understand. I say, if you remember nothing else from my classes, I want you to remember that, that there is you know, quite a bit of underreporting. The idea is to get to and chip away at the, this underreporting, maybe through victimization surveys um, and uh, you know, developing relationships with, relationships with law enforcement where they feel that they can report. Um, and so that's, that's really important. The other thing I do want to say, and this is kind of silly and off the cuff, but you know, the crime scene, the CSI, Miami, and all these kind of shows, students will say or people will say, you know, oh, yeah, I'm going to report to the police because the crime will be solved in an hour. Well, guess what? That doesn't happen. But at least it kind of encourages people to be more likely to report. Um, so I really, like I said, um, appreciate local law enforcement. I've worked with many, many agencies around the country in training and technical assistance and, you know, having conversations and networking with them. And, and you really have outstanding agencies here that, you know, want to work with the community. I mean, truly want to work with the community, want to develop these relationships, want to be proactive, want to be, you know, threat, proactive in, in intelligence-led policing. A lot of it's about threat-based identifying the threat before something actually happens. Yes, we have that, but certainly the goal is, goal is to thwart that and to be as proactive you know, as possible and to prevent as much as you possibly can. So, You're mentioning being proactive, yes. and it makes me wonder, uh, you know, community policing is sort of a, is a proactive approach, um, but has there been pushback for that as far as, you know, there's all these crimes that have already occurred why aren't we, you know, do, do resources lack there uh, approaching things that have happened in the past versus, you know, doing this relationship building and going out and talking to people and not really solving crimes? Is that something you've found? Well, I know that uh, we, have, uh, uh, we have crime trend teams with, uh, within our community policing uh, the, the four sections that we have. And basically what the crime trend teams are responsible for is that, uh, let's say like if you have a large, you have like a series of larcenies uh, that have occurred in the neighborhood, uh, a lot of times uh, due to caseload, maybe a detective may not traditionally be assigned those cases, but our crime trend team, uh, they take, they look into those larcenies and try and develop a suspect. Uh, kind of going back to what uh, she was talking about, intelligence-led policing. Uh, another aspect that's really changed as far as uh, what we the way we do business is uh, we really are uh, uh, we d utilize a lot of predictive policing. Mm -hmm. uh, each each day, uh, my uh, community policing officers and other CP officers around the city, uh, they kind of they get uh, the stats for the area that they're responsible for, and they try to identify uh, the hot spots, hot spots where 
Uh, is there a trend of uh, auto thefts? Is there a trend of uh, maybe robberies? Is there maybe like a, a trend of maybe violence or something like that? And they really do try and solve those problems on the front end. So uh, the, we put a lot of the responsibility back on that CP officer. Or what are you doing to, uh, to deal with this crime trend? Uh, one of the things that uh, Chief Ramsey, when he started uh, at the police department, he started uh, something that's called Comstats. And so <coughs> each uh, Thursday, uh, all of the four uh, bureau captains, uh, they all come together. And uh, each bureau has a field crime analyst. And what uh, that analyst does is he compiles all of these statistics, uh, uh, crimes in each four patrol areas, uh, whether it's auto thefts, whether it's robberies, uh, we also talk about significant events because Wichita is, uh, a lot of times, as, as I always tell people, is uh, because we all work in different bureaus, each bureau is like uh, like its own little state or city. Each bureau has its own problems, but uh, the criminals don't care anything about uh, Patrol North or Patrol South. You know, just because you committed a crime at Central and Rock Road doesn't mean you don't have a car and you're not going to go to Central and 119th Street. So what we find in these CompStat meetings is uh, we're dealing with the same people uh, throughout the city. And so uh, we, uh, all the four, four bureau commanders, uh, they basically present uh, kind of what's going on in their bureau. Uh, the chief, uh, the deputy chiefs are there. Uh, and then if they have some questions about uh, uh, what those captains are doing and their CP officers are doing to combat those trends, uh, then they ask them those questions. But it, it really does hold the uh, the bureau captain's accountable, and uh, my captain holds me accountable for uh, those statistics, and I hold my CP officers accountable uh, using statistics. You know, uh, we'll never have enough resources. Uh, I don't think anybody's ever, it's kind of like uh, money. My wife uh, says I never, uh, she, she's never going to be satisfied with the amount of money I make, so uh, <laughs> we're never going to have enough resources, so we try to be smarter uh, with how we use our resources. So. Uh, that's what, the reason why we are using more predictive kind of analytics uh, to kind of be more targeted in areas. So if we have a, an area like in South, uh, South City, uh, we found that there was a crime trend in uh, South City that a lot of the cars, because what we do in uh, CompStat is like if we take like a car that's stolen, we take that, uh, we, t uh, we have like a, a map that uh, takes where the car was stolen from and then where it was recovered at. And so we had an area in South Wichita that uh, we had like 35, 40 cars that were stolen and they were just kind of dropped in the neighborhood. And so uh, we ended up identifying suspects that were stealing those cars. And so that's kind of uh, an example of how we use uh, uh, statistics to kind of combat, combat crime. So you were mentioning resources and uh, it makes me wonder if there are other uh, social service organizations that may be better suited to performing uh, some of the roles currently occupied by police uh, for example, homeless outreach uh, and prevention. Um, police are overextended, it seems. Um, do you see a, a path to sort of spreading the work out to other organizations? Well, I know we, uh, I'm always, I was talking to Daryl before we got started. Uh, we can't arrest our way out of problems. I know uh, back in the 90s, uh, it was kind of a different uh, mindset. Uh, we solved problems by taking people to jail, uh, you know. Uh, my lieutenant would tell me, he said, uh, you know, if we had like a gang uh, problem, uh, he didn't want to have any gang problems or any shootings that evening. So, uh, you know, our, our, our answer for everything back then was to uh, arrest people. You know, you can't arrest your way out of problems. Uh, kind of like I was talking to him. 
uh, when you deal with like uh, uh, people that have drug problems, it's a it's an addiction problem. Uh, you know, I can arrest someone who's addicted to crack cocaine or methamphetamines a hundred times, but until we are able to get that person some treatment, that's going to be an endless cycle. Uh, so, uh, like with the homeless outreach team, uh, that's one of the units that I supervise. It's uh, they really do do a great work. I think you've had uh, Officer Sweetall uh, come and talk to you guys. Uh, you know, as far as you know, identifying resources, getting people, uh, helping them find housing, uh, getting them a hot meal, uh, getting them some clothing. It's a lot of people in the community that want to help, and so we try to identify those resources for people and try and uh, get people the help that they need. But uh, a lot of times, it's uh, it's beyond our capabilities. So we try to find. Uh, people in the community community that are willing to help to, uh, to help us solve those problems. Yes, Daryl. I'd like to add <coughs> that um, in the Fairmount neighborhood, we've been encouraged to help. And uh, we've uh, created a program called Eyes on the Block. And so we've identified uh, members on individual blocks in the neighborhood to actually not only look for things that are uh, irregular or wrong, or criminal, but when new people move in, uh, we have what we call a welcome wagon. We bring them, you know, information about the community and the things that are going on in the community, newsletters and that kind of thing, light bulbs to light their porches and that kind of thing. <clears throat> so, um, to to assist, to be a part of the solution, uh, you know, we, you know, because we we all recognize that you know the police can't do it all on their own, and so. Uh, to help out, uh, we created this thing called the Eyes on the Block, and uh, we're hoping that it gains footing and, 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 and we can teach other communities how to do the same thing. Yeah, I might chime in there as well because we, uh, we also in introduced something very similar. Um, in our neighborhood, we uh, developed uh, a block connector model, um, very similar to having one person on each block who is not only watching out for what's wrong, but also welcoming new folks, um, finding out what their neighbors are good at, just, you know, the, the 15 to 20 houses on their block, um, building relationships and hosting a couple of block parties, you know, each year just so folks can be together face-to-face. -face. Um, again, it's relationship leading to relationship, and that, you know, word of mouth, as neighbors come together, they talk about what's going on. Someone else can say, you know, we should reach out to our officer. Officer Kern would be happy to hear about this and we can report it or, you know, what's happening. So, um, so it's interesting, uh, similar models kind of rolling out and trying to find ways for citizens to own their power, you know, being able to, to be contributing for the good of the community. So. I have a, a few audience questions here. Uh, one is, how closely do the fire department or post office communicate with police? Uh, we work hand-in-hand. Uh, hand. Uh, a lot of times uh, there's, a, there's calls that, uh, uh, that may be medical. Uh, so, for instance, like if there's like a uh, person that's uh, maybe having a, a drug overdose, generally we get dispatched as well because uh, those situations sometimes can turn uh, violent and uh, uh, firefighters aren't really equipped for that. And so uh, we try and help them. We help them. We back them up when it's something that uh, they might be uh, uh, an issue where they might get assaulted, uh, and of course they take care of going into burning buildings and stuff. So uh, 
Uh, they can they can have that. I don't like uh, I don't like hot <laughs> stuff. So, uh, but we do we do work uh, hand in hand. And also, uh, there are some investigators. Uh, uh, like if there's a homicide or something that's arson related, uh, the arson investigators that they have uh, that are actually commissioned, uh, they work with our homicide detectives to try and uh, resolve the case. Um, how prevalent are dog fighting and cock fighting in Wichita? Not uh, seen any dog fighting, or uh, definitely haven't had any cock fighting for some time. We used to have quite a bit of dog fighting uh, back in the '90s, uh, but I can tell you, and I'm I would have to check with the animal control section, but uh, I'm not really aware of any large uh, dog fighting rings. But uh, and I definitely haven't heard any, about any cock fighting. So, um, also, is there a police task force dedicated to shoplifting abatement? Uh, the crime trend teams that I talked about, uh, we really try and work with, uh, uh, you know, we have uh, our officers, uh, they really have uh, uh, each day, uh, I would encourage everybody to uh, get involved in the Citizens Police Academy or maybe even go on a ride along. You'd be amazed at just how many calls that uh, officers go to. For, I mean, they basically go from call to call to call uh, throughout the day. They really don't have a lot of unobligated time. And so, uh, those uh, shop lists, we really try and work with, uh, there's like certain areas like 501 East Pawnee is uh, Walmart at uh, uh, Pawnee and Broadway. Uh, we get a lot of calls out there because uh, <coughs> they catch a lot of shoplifters there. Uh, there's not, uh, not really a lot that we can do as far as putting manpower in stores, uh, just because that would take away from uh, patrol, uh, but uh, we do give them uh, strategies and things that they could do to try and uh, uh, lessen uh, their shoplifts. And most of those uh, uh, companies like Walmart and Dillon's and stuff, they have their own uh, internal security and they, they are very effective at uh, uh, catching the shoplifters. Um, this ne next question, I think each of you might be able to address kind of from different angles. Um, uh, in your opinion, what role do landlords play in neighborhood associations, especially those within older neighborhoods with a high proportion of rental properties? Um, are they engaged with the association? And uh, and again, what should that role be? I'll answer, I'll answer that question first. Uh, going back to the 90s, uh, one of the areas, the first areas that was a weed and seed area was over in northeast Wichita. And what we saw was we had a lot of areas that uh, were rental properties and the people that lived in uh, the rental properties, uh, a lot of times uh, uh, maybe the landlords uh, didn't really, uh, they weren't that receptive about fixing things for them. And uh, one of the things that we did with community policing is uh, uh, we tried to uh, work with the uh, Office of Central Inst Inspection and try and hold the landlords accountable you know, if uh, you had like a neighbor, one of the things that we would, uh, complaints that we would get in community policing is like, well, you know, I, uh, the landlord won't fix my heater. Uh, that's not really a community, that's not really a traditional policing problem, but, you know, if you don't have anybody else to turn to and I'm coming and asking you, well, what's, uh, what's your problem? If that's your problem, then we try and find some resources for them to maybe try and, uh, uh, and maybe, maybe what well, sometimes it was maybe the landlord didn't, wasn't even aware uh, sometimes we had landlords that uh, uh, were in, just kind of in it for money, and so we tried to hold those pe hold those landlords accountable. It wasn't like we were trying to uh, pick on them or anything, but we were just trying to improve the quality of life. Uh, because I tell you, uh, 
uh, and that uh, area that I used to uh, patrol in uh, 24 years ago, Northeast Wichita, uh, I tell everybody, Northeast Wichita is probably the, uh, really that whole North Bureau is probably the safest bureau, uh, patrol bureau in the city. Uh, now, it's a, we still have a lot of work to do, uh, but uh, it's like night and day from when I started to where it is right now. And a lot of it, that weed and seed area uh, where they went in and they, it's a lot of new houses over in like 26 in Minnesota. It looks completely different. Uh, I'm amazed when I drive, I don't get to, because I work in South Wichita, I don't get to drive uh, through there as much as I used to, but I'm just amazed at just, uh, you know, how nice the neighborhood was. That, that reminds me of the neighborhood that I grew up in uh, in Northeast Wichita before uh, we had all the gangs and, uh, drug activity. So, uh, you know, holding those, uh, uh, getting those neighborhoods to work with us or work with the tenants has really been effective for us. Well, that's, that's great news. Yeah. That should be applauded. That is great news. And, and you know, I, I would say that, you know, one of the, one of the things that uh, Fairmount neighborhood has uh, is it's, it's one of the most diverse communities in the Cedric County. And a lot of that is because a lot of students live in the, in the Fairmount neighborhood. Uh, and students from all over the world. And so it's quite diverse uh, in terms of its uh, nationality, in terms of its age, uh, in terms of its um, economic, uh, uh, well, economics, in terms of its education. Um, I don't know if I said that twice, but it is the, it's one of the most diverse communities. Um, renters, owners, um, uh, and so uh, in, in terms of... Uh, uh, the, um, the the makeup, um, it, it's an interesting st uh, a gathering of statistics. So we went door to door, about 800, a little over 800 doors, and we, 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 we had a comprehensive needs assessment. We got over 50% response rate. So over 400 people uh, responded. And, and I just want to share with you a couple of things. For example, and um, you know, I, I can celebrate this with you, Lieutenant Nicholson, that you know, we asked the neighbors uh, uh, a question on the, on the survey was, um, uh, Wichita police are generally good people doing a difficult job, right? Like almost 99, actually I have the statistics here, 93% of the people said that was true. And, that, and this is, these are people that have all kinds of uh, relationships with law enforcement. Um, uh, and so, you know, as, as diverse as Fairmount is, um, there is a consensus uh, that, uh, that together uh, we can, you know, create a, a better environment alongside the police department. Matt, do you have a perspective on landlords versus uh, owners in your neighborhood? Sure. Certainly in our neighborhood, we see that there's a great impact that landlords can have. And I think that's something that um, I was unaware of, how, how much of a role they can play. Um, to be a landlord is, is a, a pretty important job, there, and there's a lot to, to it. Um, and, um, you know, we have, we have certainly encountered renters who struggle with their landlords, um, and we've worked with landlords who are still figuring out how best to rent their properties. And so I think things like neighborhood associations are a great place to come together um, to articulate those struggles. The other thing that I've been really impressed with, um, I, I, I guess to back up one second, I've had this thought several times that I've been so impressed with the Wichita police and um, in our working with them, they've, they're so approachable um, and it's, it's just been a great gift. 
Um, the other uh, side of that for us has been really helpful is um, Councilman uh, James Clendenin uh, has been extremely approachable and his staff. And so reaching out to him and saying, you know, here's, here's an apartment complex where we're hearing that there's struggles and, and then let's, again, let's find resources and let's reach out to the owners and let's create dialogue. Um, being proactive on that can have a great impact on a community. So, Just real quickly, um, I'd worked on a project, of course, a COPS DOJ project, or I think it was a BJA project, um, um, best practices around the United States in terms of, you know, what, what law enforcement agencies do, are doing in an economic downturn. It's really exciting, huh? But um, <laughs> maybe not the most exciting topic. But what, what, they, what we found was, um, and one of the agencies, it was actually Omaha, Nebraska, talked about these issues of the landlords and having teams like uh, code enforcement, working with law enforcement, um, working with social service groups. Because you have to understand, I mean, people say, you know, either landlords are good landlords or they're not good landlords. But the reality is it's a continuum in, in my mind and kind of what we know. Some landlords are trying to do the right thing you know, and they, they don't have the money, they don't have the resources, and they're trying to kind of gradually take care of business. Others are obstinate, and those are the ones that just, they don't care, and like as, you know, Lieutenant said, they just do it, for, they're in it for the money, they don't want to fix anything, they don't want to do anything, and they're very, they just don't want to bother with it. So really trying to gauge what type of landlord law enforcement is dealing with, um, you know, with, with Nebraska, what they do is they try to do, you know, they have these relationships, they invite landlords to, you know, the meetings to kind of talk about code enforcement and the importance of this, and they try to figure out what type of individuals that they're dealing with, um, but really recognizing that, that they do vary on a continuum, so not just saying, you know, oh, well, the landlord's not fixing anything, they're a problem. I, I, that's not the case. Some are, and some aren't, so just kind of understanding the difference between different types of landlords, and, and the ones that can't afford to do it, that really want to do it, helping them, you know, glean the resources, find the resources, or incrementally make the changes to be successful um, for the tenants, so. One other thing I might just add, too, is the role that if, if you own a home near a rental property, the role that we can play in reaching out to tenants as they move in. I, I think there's something really significant there when a lot of the rentals near our home you know, they're young folks who are just starting to set up their lives. They don't know they're going to be there for very long. Um, but they're also very kind, and I've been in, encouraged. You know, we go to them and take a plate of cookies and just say, welcome to the neighborhood. Uh, it sets a tone with them, uh, but it also lets them know you're open to relationship. And so even if it's not addressing the landlord or the, you know, we, we can build relationships there as well that I think have a great impact. Um. Andy, I want to go back to kind of this this line that you straddle uh, between academia and policing and, and sort of academia as the broader community. Where do you think the the disconnect is or what what are what are the different sides of this line not understanding about the other um, that we could improve upon? Okay, well, one of the things, um, as she said, I kind of straddle the line between, you know, being a practitioner, working in the field, and then also being an academic. And um, I think a lot of it, the, the disconnect sometimes that you see between law enforcement and the community is lack of communication, lack of clear communication. And when you have that lack of communication, that's where people get angry, you know, both sides. Why wasn't the community doing this? Why isn't law enforcement doing that? I did have the opportunity to work on the Ferguson um, After Action Police Assessment Report. Um, 
which was fascinating. I mean, it was really a great opportunity. I thought it was a great opportunity. And one of the things that we discovered was that, you know, between the community, between law enforcement, a lot of the issues were specifically based on a lack of good, clear, concise communication. So I think that's, I think that's huge. And I think once um, law enforcement or the public communicates with one another, that seems to, you know, mitigate some of the issues that we're having. But when everybody's going to kind of stand there and say, oh, I'm not going to talk. And, you know, police, for example, go out and they do um, community meetings. And they go out and they have these presentations. Well, what brings people out? Crime. Okay, so in a neighborhood, people say, oh, we've got Neighborhood Watch. And our local, um, you know, beat officer is going to come out. Our local community policing officer is going to come out and talk about, you know, crime and talk about gangs and talk about meth labs and talk about whatever it happens to be. It's exciting, and people are like, whoa, we're, we're out there. But when things to, seem to subside, what happens is all of a sudden people aren't showing up anymore, you know? And, and the reality is, is, you know, they say, you know, that, the, that the, the public are kind of the eyes of law enforcement. Law enforcement can't be there all the time, and there shouldn't be that expectation, right? For example, I, I always kind of say this, um, when you're driving down the street and somebody runs a red light and you're like, oh! Where's the police officer, right? <laughs> they can't be everywhere. So we have a responsibility as members of the community to educate ourselves, to attend these meetings, to learn. For example, I talk to my students about tagging. You know, when you see tagging on property, and you might say, oh, that's so pretty. They're like bubble letters on my, on my garage, and there's, that's, so, that's so cool looking. When in reality, it's like gang, graffiti, and things crossed out, things upside down, and stuff like that. But we have a, we have a responsibility as a community to educate ourselves as well we can't just rely on the, the police to, you know, always reach out to us. But what do we need to do to reach out to law enforcement? So, did yeah, you, go ahead, jump on in. Oh, so uh, that reminds me, our um, our community oriented uh, police officers had asked in a meeting once. You know, they said, you know, we'd like to have coffee, you know, with you all. We'd like, you know, and and in, and in Fairmount at the time there wasn't a venue. However, today, there's a venue called the Fairmount Coffee Company, uh, and it's on 17th Street, and you, and you walk in, and you have community members. Uh, you have members from the academic community, the resident community, the faith-based community, the law enforcement community, and, we're, and, and it's a venue where we can all come together and, and have awesome conversations. Um, and, I, 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 and I did forget to mention one thing. We were talking about code and how important that is, because that does support environmental safety in our communities. One of the things that we experimented with in Fairmount is uh, an idea called the Neighborhood Driven Code Compliance Program. And so we, we have a relationship with uh, City of Wichita Code Liaison. And when, when uh, a member of the Fairmount community is cited for code infractions, um, we're, we're, we are notified and then we offer help. Uh, and so it has mitigated a lot of uh, code infractions in the community and it, another opportunity to bring the community members together because it's nothing like mending fences together and things like that, painting homes together uh, and getting rid of debris that you know people hoard and some, sometimes that's, a, that's an issue with people and so you know helping people without throwing their things away but you know helping them manage uh, their, their, their lifestyles. Um, so that's, I just forgot to mention that, and it's an it's a interesting program called uh, Neighborhood Driven Code Compliance, and it seems to be working. Interesting. 
Um, Andy, when you mentioned Ferguson, um, it, it makes me wonder how, and maybe this is a question for you as well, Wendell, um, how have recent high-profile police shootings impacted Wichita community policing efforts? Well, uh, right after uh, 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 the incident happened in Ferguson, uh, many of you remember we had a no Ferguson uh, here. And so we really, uh, a lot of the community members and uh, the police department was really trying to be proactive so that many of the things that happened uh, in Ferguson wouldn't happen here. And so, uh, you know, as I said before, you know, we're in the relationship building business. Uh, we can never spend enough time with the community. Uh, I wrote down uh, something I always say. Uh, uh, Sir Robert Peel uh, was considered, uh, he was an English guy, and he had the nine principles of policing. And one of the, his principles was that uh, police are the public and the public are the police. Uh, one of the things that I always tell young officers uh, is that, uh, you know, we, are, we work for you guys, and we can't do our job if we don't have community support. So uh, do we do everything perfectly? No, we don't. Uh, do we do we strive for that? Yes, we do. Uh, you know, it's it's important that uh, you know. Uh, I think I talked to you about this. Uh, President Obama had a uh, 21st initiative on uh, policing, and one of the things that he talked about is that uh, you know, if any uh, any uh, if any area of the American public uh, doesn't uh, doesn't feel like they've been treated fairly, then that's a problem for all of us. And so, as police officers, we can't just talk to people that love us. Uh, we also have to go and talk to people that uh, don't necessarily disagree with us, uh, don't necessarily agree with us. You know, I go and talk to people all the time uh, and have honest conversations with them. You know, uh, when people have problems, they call the police. Uh, and they expect to be treated fairly. Uh, they expect to, to have some voice. They expect uh, us to be accountable. And so, it's really incumbent on us and it's also incumbent on you as citizens to hold uh, the police department and uh, uh, our leadership accountable. If there's something that you don't like, you know, take an interest in that. You know, I always tell people, you know, make sure that you know uh, who the supervisors are in the area that you work in. That's very important. It's very important to know who you can go to if something uh, doesn't go right. You know, if you live at 119th and uh, uh, in Maple. Do you know who the bureau captain is where you work at, uh, you live at? Uh, captain Wanda Gibbons. But, you know, it's very, a lot of people don't uh, keep track of that stuff, but, you know, it's just as important as uh, knowing who your congressman is or knowing who the president or your state senator is. You need to know if there's something that you don't like, you need to know who you can go to and get that addressed. Or uh, like, uh, like you, uh, you know, I work in South Wichita, so if you have a problem with one of my community policing officers, you know who to get a hold of. So just... Uh, very important uh, uh, accountability. Uh, like I said, uh, do we do everything perfectly? Uh, no. Uh, do we try to? Yes, we do. Uh, but uh, and it's important that uh, you know you hold us to the fire when we mess when we, when we make mistakes. It, just a comment on that. Um, on the flip side of that, I always once again tell my students or tell the audience, whoever, that's important. Yes, absolutely. If there's an issue, if there's a concern to you know let law enforcement know or report or whatever you need to do. But on the other side of that, I always encourage people that if you've been treated great and you and you it was a positive experience, there's nothing wrong with contacting the police department and saying you know this officer did a great job. And we forget about that. And and I'm just as guilty of it. 
you know, when I had an incident, not with law enforcement, but a whole other situation, um, the first thing that I did was I called and I, you know, said, oh, this was a bad situation. I wasn't treated great. Um, and the ho- it was a hospital situation and nothing to do with law enforcement. But yet, then on the other hand, the ther- paramedics that treated me well, that did a great job, I called the, what are they called, fire chief, and I said, I just want to let you know, your, your police, you know, your firemen, your EMS guys, they did a great job, and I just want to thank you so much for, for doing the right thing. So I think it's important to, to really do that on both ends of it, because mostly law enforcement, here's, it's criticism. But to get a letter of commendation, say you did a great job, I think is really important as well. Citizens that do call and uh, uh, say positive things about, uh, and I talked about the negative aspect, but I get more, a lot more uh, positives about, you know, officers, you know, uh, you know, kid doesn't have a jacket and the officer uh, spends money out of his own money and gets a kid a jacket, you know, those, those types of things, you know, uh, there's, there's good and bad, you know, so, you know, if you, just like we tell citizens in neighborhood to watch settings, if you see something that, uh, that's good, uh, good or bad, you know, call and let somebody know because I tell you, uh, uh, a lot of times, you know, that uh, that might make that officer's day to hear that uh, someone said that, you know, uh, they appreciate him being nice to him. And on the flip side of it, if you see something that uh, concerns you, uh, call supervision and uh, we can look into it and find out uh, what uh, what happened on with what with what you saw. This is a question for Daryl or Matt, and uh, of course, if you all would like to join in, please do. Um, do you have any advice for community building in Old Town or Downtown? It's difficult to connect with little outdoor space and a high proportion of renters. Hmm. Well, I, I would suggest um, there, you know, everyone likes a party. And. <laughs> And That's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> and, there, and there are so many ways to do that down here. Um, I, I also want to suggest that, you know, annually, uh, the city of Wichita has uh, what is called a, uh, a uh, law enforcement community parade. Uh, that that is getting longer, I believe, and uh, and that's a good thing because I think more and more people are are expressing their appreciation, expressing their solidarity. Uh, when they involved themselves in, in the parade. I mean, we are encouraged to in the Fairmount uh, neighborhood, and, and we participated last year, and I cannot tell you how much laughter uh, goes along with, uh, with, with, that, uh, with that participation, just a, a lot of laughter. And so, um, you know, to try to answer that question, uh, you know, uh, find yourself in carnival-like existence and uh, have parties and, and, and parade with law enforcement and... Uh, and I think that you know uh, those ingredients uh, are 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 uh, the uh, essence of, of success. Yeah, and I, you know I think the only thing I would echo with that is just take advantage of whatever space you do have. So if there is any sort of commons area, if there is a place where you know you can cross paths with other people, and I I think it's a question worth sharing with your neighbors. You know uh, how might we engage with each other, uh, you know, it, because it is a challenge if you don't have a front yard or a backyard. Uh, it is a challenge to figure out how we're going to interact with each other. So to talk through that and maybe find some commonality, maybe there's uh, a common interest that we could gather around, even something as simple as parties, board games, um, you know, 
anything like that can be a great way to bring people together. So. Thank you. Um, I want to ask one more kind of two-part question for this evening, and if all of you want to weigh in on that, I would appreciate it. Um, what can individuals do to make their own neighborhood safer and healthier? And if they live in a neighborhood that is already very safe and healthy, um, can they do something to help other parts of town? Okay, <laughs> I'll jump in first. So I'm going to offer a couple of thoughts. One is uh, for the last year, actually, at the Neighboring Movement, um, we've been creating neighboring tips, and we call it 52 Weeks of Neighboring. And it's a weekly suggestion. It's free, and it's just a really simple way to build relationships with your neighbors. And I think the data supports this idea that if we can just, you know, the simplest things in building relationships with our neighbors can be a great way to have a positive impact on our communities. Um, I also think that it's, um, uh, you know, as far as the next step that I would encourage is just make sure that you know the folks who live around you. Um, what are their names? Uh, what are their interests? Where do they work? Focus on building those relationships, and uh, that, that, I think, can do you know, a, tre a tremendous amount. Um, yeah, so the second part of the question as far as, you know, what folks can do, um, you know, I, the first thing that I would say is just don't make up a story for a neighborhood you don't live in. Um, that goes a long way. Um, I, I've heard a lot of stories about my neighborhood uh, from folks who don't live there. <laughs> and so I think, you know, um, ask. You know, let's, let's be in conversation. Let's be in dialogue. Tell me about your neighborhood. What works there? What's it like? You know, um, I think that can go a long way. So. <laughs> we'll just go this way. And so one of the simplest things that I do uh, is um, I refuse to walk past litter. Um, I pick up litter, and I, I don't allow my children to pretend not to see it either. And so, um, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the simplest things you can do. Uh, and it's, and there's, some, there's so much benefit. I mean, there's, there's exercise involved, and there's bending down, and there's all that kind of thing. Uh, you know, so that's one of the, the simplest things. Um, you know, we were, I was fortunate to have the task to go door to door. And as was said earlier, I mean, there are so much, um, uh, you know, uh, people are, are so uh, resourceful. And um, even though, you know, you might think your neighborhood is uh, without any need, uh, you know, when you go door to door, you find, you find, you find a different reality. And uh, so I encourage, I encourage door to door. I know that is holistic. Um, and had I not gotten encouraged and, and even paid to do it, it probably wouldn't have happened because you have to really carve out time to do that, and most of us live in it, you know, only have 24 hours in a day. And so, um, and, and I know that's, that's a difficult task, but, but that was so beneficial for us. I mean, we got to know uh, the, the uh, you know, what's behind those doors. And uh, some, some, some people are needy, and they, and they you know, their the pride or whatever gets in the way. Um, so, you know, from, from litter to literally getting to know who your neighbors are, I think it's a win-win. It's a 
I'll kind of build on those same themes. Um, I think it's really important to kind of uh, work on building that uh, neighborhood efficacy, whereas uh, everyone is, uh, you're concerned about your neighbor. Uh, if your neighbor leaves town or they go to a ball game and you know that, and you see a strange car parked out in front of there, you know, don't be that neighbor that says, well, that's none of my business, you know. Call the police or call your neighbor and uh, ask them uh, what's going on. But you can't do that if you, if, uh, and I wrote down some notes, know your neighbors, uh, talk to your neighbors. Um, then on that law enforcement side, uh, find out who your CP officer is in the area that you live in. If you don't know, then call whatever patrol bureau that you live in and find out who that is and uh, say that you'd like to meet your CP officer. We get those all the time. You know, engage your, your engage your, uh, com uh, your community policing. You know, find out what's going on in your neighborhood. And then as far as uh, that second part of your question, uh, I wrote down the word community because uh, we are all Wichitans. Uh, I'm sure most of us in this room love the Shockers. If they don't, they probably love the Jayhawks. So, uh, <laughs> you know, but we're all in this together. So uh, if something bad happens, uh, in West Wichita, everyone on the east side and around this whole community should be outraged about that because uh, we're all in this together. Uh, we, like I always tell people, I work for you guys. Uh, my family lives here. Uh, my whole family still lives in Northeast Wichita. Uh, you know, so I want us to have that community. I want us to be uh, su successful because if we fail, then uh, that's going to have an effect on my kids and my family who live here. And so, uh, you know, I've given over uh, two decades of service to this community and this department, and uh, those are the themes that have been important to me uh, throughout those 20 years, you know, just having that uh, sense of community. Uh, we have that sense of community uh, on the police department, but we need to have that uh, city-wide, uh, city you know. Uh, sometimes I, I see things, uh, you know, Let's say like if something bad happens in one part of town and somebody will say, well, you know, that happens all the time. Well, uh, that should outrage everybody. So, you know, be concerned about everybody. Have that sense of community and uh, caring about uh, everybody because we're all with you. And you mentioned uh, getting your CP's uh, info. Do, do they share their phone number with anyone? I mean, is it just that easy? You can just yeah, text you, them or you, whatever? Yeah, you can. Okay. Uh, most of them, they all have emails. Uh, I know uh, in my area, I give out my business card. I also... Uh, I give people my cell phone number. Uh, I don't know that everybody's going to do that. And then my, my wife gets mad that I get phone calls 24 hours a night uh, from citizens and, and uh, commanders. But uh, uh, we, that's, like I said, we're in that relationship building business. And uh, they all have emails that they uh, check. And so there's different, er different ways that you can get a hold of uh, either your CP officer or uh, that's why I also said it's important to know who's the supervisors that work in the area that uh, you work in, you know, know who the lieutenants are. So if something happens, if your CP officer or your CP lieutenant's off, uh, there's sergeants and there's lieutenants at the station, even if it's closed on a weekend. But, you know, get, you know walk in, introduce yourself, and uh, find out what's going on. They've said it all. <laughs> I'm like, what am I going to say now? Um, <laughs> Actually, um, the Nextdoor app that you discussed earlier, absolutely. I think that's great. People are all over that. I think in our Nextdoor app, there are like 43 neighborhoods. It's pretty good. Um, looking out for one another, and I'm just going to say it. I'm, I have a dog, a rescue dog, and I'm a dog walker 
of my own dog. I don't like walk the neighbor's dogs. But I'm out and about all the time in the morning after I get home from work and sometimes at night, except I just saw a huge coyote, so I think I'm not going to do that anymore at night. It's kind of scary, but I kind of like them. Anyway, but walking the dog, you know, you see people. People, like, wave. People are really nice. Um, I wave at, you know, everyone. They know the, Of course, they know the dog first before they recognize who I am because you can't miss her. It's like one of those you can't miss. Um, and so I think that's really nice. I think people here in Wichita, just overall, I think you guys are really nice. I appreciate that. When my husband, who is from Wichita, goes back to Chicago with me, people don't wave back. <laughs> and he can't figure out why. And I said, honey, just don't wave to everybody because, like, we don't wave back up there. But I think, like I said, you know, developing those relationships with the community, developing relationships in your neighborhoods, uh, get a dog. Oh, I shouldn't like dogs. Um, walk the dog. But that, that, that really has helped. I mean, people are like, oh, I see your dog and everything else. So um, there are just so many different ways to really engage people, and that's just one example, and to develop these longstanding, you know, relationships. And so that's kind of how I've, how I've done it. So thank you. Thank you. Um, let's have a big round of applause for our panel this evening. I just have a couple of notes for you all. Um, the next Democracy on Tap event will be February 20th. It will be the second in our three-part uh, social health series. Next month we'll be talking about mandating health. It should be a very interesting discussion. Um, also, for those interested in Downtown Neighborhood Association, um, the next meeting is January 31st, which is what, tomorrow? Uh, from 2 to 3 um, at Visit Wichita, which is 515 South Main. Um, and lastly, this evening is the State of the Union Address, and KMUW will be carrying it. It starts at 8 o'clock, so you can tune in. NPR will be doing a live fact-checking uh, uh, as well. Um, so if you... They do that. That's a normal thing, but they're, they're going to keep doing that. Um, Join us for that, and thank you so much for coming to Engage ICT Democracy on Tap. We really appreciate you tonight. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for Engage ICT Democracy on Tap. Find more podcasts and videos at engageict.org. This show was hosted at Roxy's Downtown in Wichita, Kansas. Our engineers are John Cyphers and Torin Anderson, and I'm the host. For KMUW, I'm Sarah Jane Crespo.